0: It's gone. It's gone. It wasn't me. It wasn't me. So, what this first session is about really laying the foundation of who you are. And if you're walking somebody into freedom who knows the Lord, who they are. Because you have to know that, or you will go right back to old patterns of trying to just like counsel a person through something. And it's not, you cannot counsel a demon out of someone. You can't. You can't do it. It doesn't work that way. And so this person will stay in their stuff thinking that they're not really free. When God has set them free and paid the price for it. So that's why, do you get why I'm saying we have to know this? So I knew this now, and so I sat down with the Lord and said, okay, now show me in scripture what you want to show me about this. And I'm telling you, this teaching out of all of them blew me away. I was sitting there typing it out as I was feeling the Lord lead me, and as I was typing, I was like, no way. No way. How come I've never seen this before? This is incredible. Like, and I know the scripture, so I, like, he didn't have to go deep into it. I knew what he was talking about, right? But he was just pulling it together for me. And so I'm, I'm excited for you guys because I know how it was like for me. So anyways, you guys ready for this? You excited? Okay. So my first question to the Lord, sitting down at the computer. Okay, God, who do you say we are? And honestly, my expectation was that he was going to give me that bookmark, you know, like the, I'm a child of God, I'm an overcomer, I'm an ambassador for Christ, I am, you know, like the list of the I am's that you get, like, on the, on the Christian t-shirts and in the bookmarks and those sort of things. That's what I thought he was going to say, but he didn't. God, who do you say that we are? And he said, you are redeemed. And I was like, okay, I know that word. What does redeemed mean? So I, I go to my source for everything, the Bible, but blueletterbible.org, um, which goes to the original language and tells you what the words mean, but it tells you not just what they mean, but they tell you what it meant for extra-biblical sources as well. So you know contemporary to their day what that word was being used for. I like that. I want to know what the average person was thinking when they heard that word, right? So <coughs> I look up, so anytime I reference back to the Hebrew or the Greek or whatever, you can know that I'm taking it from blueletterbible.org. That's where I go, all right? That's where all of it is, there, there it is. There's the disclaimer right there. All right, so redemption. The re- redemption is the payment to buy back from slavery to redeem one by paying the price, to let one go free on receiving the price, a releasing effected by payment of ransom, redemption, deliverance, liberation procured by the payment of ransom. So what redemption is, is it means that you're not a slave anymore. You are brought back to your original value. And I'm like, okay, I'm tracking with you, Lord, brought back original value and he said so what did original value look like okay slavery happened in the garden so it had to have been before the fall right okay so we're going to take a look at what did Adam and Eve look like all right pre-slavery man's original design in nature first thing to notice sin was not man's original nature correct Right? Genesis 1.27, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Sin is not in God's nature. Sin was not designed in our nature. Right, We were made in his image. So sin, no sin in the nature. not. Number two, part of the original design is that the ability to make a moral choice was in the design. All right? So there's an ability to make a moral choice. Genesis 2, 16 to 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree in the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. There's a choice. Right? And in their design was the ability to make a choice. Okay. Pre-slavery, no sin, but yes, ability to make choices. That shows that in the redemptive state, it is possible for sinless man to sin. So then there was a test. There was a place for obedience and disobedience in sinlessness to be displayed. So what, you, what I want you to understand is that the test or what happened there was not a test of, uh, it was not one against appetite in, in Adam and Eve. It was not, they were not tempted inside of them, right? They weren't hungry. Right? They weren't walking around going, we well, you're starving. There's nothing to eat around here. Right? There, there's, not, there, there's nothing in them driving them to sin. It was an external force. Right? It wasn't internal. It was external. Mm-hmm. Notice that. And that, that, that serpent, that, that seraphim, do you know that that's the word? It's not serpent. It, the word is seraphim. Have you ever heard the word seraphim before? It's an angelic being. Seraphim are literally around the throne of God. That changed everything for me. I always wondered why he cursed it to the ground. I thought, like, okay, did snakes used to have legs? No, it was an angelic being that was now no longer able to leave. I always thought, did snakes talk in the garden? No, it was an angelic being. They were aware of this, okay? This was a place where heaven and earth were mingled. I mean, God would walk with them. They would walk. You know, there were angels there. This is this is what was happening. So it was a seraphim, and this seraphim was in already in rebellion to God. A rebellion had already taken place. And he was trying to get man to, to agree with him in rebellion. Now, we know, and there's. I'm not going to go into the technicalities of it because I don't know them, but... We know that there was a rebellion in heaven and that there was uh, an angel that wanted to be like God, right? And so he comes with the very same thing. And man, already like God, gets said, gets said you know, you will be like God. It's the original temptation. But this wasn't temptation in them. It was just part of like, oh, th- I, you know, that makes sense. I'm supposed to be like God. Uh, But they knew that God had told them not to. They would die. And so they were going, I believe, with just an influence, an outside influence, convincing them of something. And they chose to agree with that. No, you won't die. Your eyes will be open. Lie, liar, liar, liar. God said you'll die. No, you won't die. Your eyes will be open. So sinless man in that moment went from obedient to disobedient as it agreed with the liar. And what we know is mankind ended up becoming enslaved to sin. I mean, Romans says that it was death. They died in that moment. That's what God said, and I believe that's what happened. In the day that you eat of it, you will die. They died in that moment. Not physically, but spiritually they died. And then Jesus came brought back and he brought life. And that life was the light of men, right? And that life comes inside of us. We get born again, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. And that life is what, what really brings us alive. Um, so they became slaves and they were then destined to go by their flesh because what else did they have to guide them, right? So everybody was doing what was right in their own eyes, and they got enslaved to sin. And then they were not able to get out of it. Um, So Romans says, Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sinned, To be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. So we see that there was this time where death reigned, then the law came. When the law came, then sin reigned. And then he goes in, in Romans, he says, Death and, and uh, sin and death came through Adam, but grace and life came through Jesus, and that overtook. And he says, The gift is far greater. And so I'll tell you right now, what Jesus did on the cross is way bigger than what Adam did in the garden. Way bigger. And we need to stop identifying with what Adam did in the garden and start identifying with what Jesus did on the cross. It's way bigger. Okay? So, pre-slavery. No sin, ability to make a moral choice. The influence was on the outside. You guys see all that? So, Scripture begins to unfold, and God is this master storyteller, and he begins to... Uh, He's he's an incredible author, and he decides that he's going to choose a family to display the story of redemption in the shadow, to display what was going to come in the fullness, so that when the fullness came and when Jesus ascended, that we would have something to look at (laughs) and go, what's happening here? So he he goes and he chooses a family, and it's all pre planned, okay? So I want you to look here. The story was already planned Genesis 15 14 to 16. God's telling Abraham way prior that his descendants are going to be slaves for 400 years. And then that after the 400 years, they're going to be brought out of slavery, brought in into the land of promise, this land that he's given Abraham. You guys see that? Why is God, why is God telling him that? Because there's a story. God already has a plan. He already has a plan. All right? Um I want you to take a look for a minute. He he begins to he begins to call people to be a shadow representation of what will happen in the fullness. So Father Abraham is a shadow of Father God having to give up his only son, right? To sacrifice one who's would be the father of many nations. From him would come the, the Savior, right? He's a picture of the Father. Now, don't get me wrong. It doesn't mean that everything Abraham did represents God, <laughs> okay? Uh, Abraham was just as much a slave to sin as, as we were, right? Although God looked at him and by his faith called him righteous. Um, it's a picture of the Father. Abraham had a son. What was the son's name? Isaac, Isaac, the son of promise, the only son, the one born from a miraculous birth, right? Sarah shouldn't have been able to have kids. Mary definitely shouldn't have been able to have kids. Who is Isaac a shadow of? Jesus. Isaac, the one who, when God says, okay, Abraham, you need to sacrifice your son, Isaac's now in his 30s and he has to carry the wood for his own sacrifice up the hill, who does that sound like? Jesus, right? They get up to the top where the sacrifice, he's, Isaac, you picture Abraham is 100 and something at this point, Isaac is in his 30s, who's gonna be stronger maybe? Probably Isaac. I mean, it doesn't say Isaac was stronger than Abraham, but I'm just going to, like, guess that, right? Isaac, I believe, put himself on that altar. Dad, what are we doing? All right, I'll do it. What are we doing? (laughs) And then God intervenes and says, no, you're not going to have to do this. I will provide the sacrifice. Who was he talking about? Jesus, we talked about it last night with Passover. Jesus breaks the Athikomen, which represents Isaac, and he says, this is me. Okay? So Isaac is the shadow of Jesus. Then Isaac has a son, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Jacob's name gets changed to Israel. Israel is a shadow of the church. Israel has how many sons? 12, the church starts with how many disciples? 12, okay, it's not accidental here. This is not accidental. God planned this, okay? Because he wants us to know redemption. He wants us to know that this is not just willy-nilly happening out of nowhere, which is how so much of the church operates. Like, we don't know what's going on. God, why is this happening? Why? God's going, I laid it out for you. So then the 12, they go right into Egypt for 400 years. How many years of silence was there before Jesus came? 400. Is this accidental? It's not. All right? And then we know what happens. They're in Egypt for 400 years. And then God moves, and he challenges the gods of the Egyptians. And he shows that he is the one true God, that there might be other things that have influence and power, but he is over them all. He challenges each one of them. He didn't have to challenge each one of them, but he did. I'm God, not you. And then the final one was to take the blood of the lamb and put it on the door, doorposts of your home. And anybody who's in there, the spirit of death, has to pass over and can't touch. And then John comes later on and says, Jesus is the lamb of God, right? who takes away the sins of the world. You know, they used a hyssop branch to put that blood on the doorpost of their home. And when Jesus was up on the cross, they used a hyssop branch to reach the stuff up to him so that he could drink. I mean, there's so much that God, God put detail in here for us so that we can look and go, okay, to know the times that we're in. So they get rescued out of slavery they come out from just like he said it would be, all right? So there were promises that were made to Abraham before slavery. We're going to look at those. You guys see them in that big box right there? I tried to make it so you can't miss them. Promises made before slavery, all right? Take note of these. They're important. That the promised land would be an everlasting possession. How can he say that? You can say it because it's a shadow. That Abraham would be the father of many nations. He would make an everlasting, Abraham would have an everlasting covenant with God. I thought it was the old covenant. It's all built on each other. It's the same, okay? Okay that he would be exceedingly fruitful, God would bless him and multiply him, that kings would come from Abraham, that his descendants would possess the gates of their enemies, and that all nations of the world would be blessed by his seed. So you turn the page here, and, and this is where I prove to you that I'm not lying or making it up. It's actually in there. So take a minute and just look. I, I, I did a little bit of the work for you. I, I made words in bold. <laughs> To show you you can see each one of those promises in there giving you the land make a covenant with you multiply you you'll possess the gates of your enemies you guys see them all in there you see I'm not making it up okay so God tells them all of this beforehand these are the promises well, so what happens? What happens is exactly what God said would happen. My daughter Brooklyn drew all these little pictures for me, all the timelines and stuff. So you can thank her; she's an artist right there. So uh, this casting call, we went through who were, who were who. The script, all right. So they were slaves in Egypt. They get rescued out of Egypt, just like God said. And then they come into the wilderness, and in just a couple weeks' time, they're over at the edge. And you know what? As they're coming through the Red Sea, you know, uh, Paul refers back to that as baptism. Did you know that? All right, the coming through the water, going in a slave and out a free man. And coming into the wilderness, the plan and the hope was that they would get to the edge of the promised land. What God wanted was that they would immediately go in and inhabit their land. That's what God wanted. They got to the edge of the land. They sent the spies in. They all come out, and they're like, it's too big. We don't really think God's big enough or is for us or we can't do it or it's just too good. I mean, they had all these things. They just didn't believe Right, in Hebrews it says they didn't go in because of their unbelief, and then it puts it on the church: Do not miss out on your promised land because of your unbelief. How many times I've heard believers say, "Well, you know, I believe God will do that for you," but it's too much in me. I mean, you just don't understand the trauma that I've had, the life that I've lived, the stuff that's been done. Da 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 da. No, God's bigger. He's bigger. He's bigger than all of it. I don't care what's there. I don't care what has inhabited your land while you were a slave. You're not a slave anymore. You belong to the living God, the creator of heaven and earth, the creator of things visible and invisible. He is over all of it. Know who he is and know who you are. He is able to do it. And not only is he able, he wants you in the land of promise. That's what it's for. But unbelief will keep you out. So they wander around for 40 years in the desert. We know this, right? Until that whole generation has passed away, except for the two, Caleb and Joshua, who believed, and Moses and Aaron. And um, and, and <laughs> I, I, re, I, I find it funny, the end of Deuteronomy, right, is they're at the edge of the promised land again. And before they do anything, Moses is like, remember what God has done. Remember how he did this. Remember how he's been feeding us with manna. Remember how he made the water come from the rock. Remember how he got rid of all the Egyptians. Remember, da, 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 da. Remember, 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 remember. Okay, are we going in? (laughs) Are we ready now? Yeah, we're ready. And they go in and they start to take the land city by city. Right? But before they go in and take the land, Joshua has an encounter with an angel, the commander of the armies of the living God. Do you know that story? Just a little excerpt right before Jericho. Joshua's like, who are you? Are you for us or for our enemies? He says, neither. I'm a commander of the army of the living God. (laughs) Yeah, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. That was before the first battle. It was this interaction where the armies of heaven were now fighting with the men of earth. We come to Pentecost where the spirit of God comes and heaven and earth are now. The spirit of God is now in men and the battle is with both, right? Right? And their first battle, they don't have to do anything other than march and shout, and the walls come down. Who do you think tore those walls down? I believe it was the armies of the living God. That they were now walking in conjunction with each other. And then we follow the, the timeline a little bit longer. God says, don't take anything from Jericho that is mine. Well, we know that Achan took stuff and hid it. And they lost their next battle because of sin in the camp. Well, we go to to Jesus' time. The Holy Spirit has come at Pentecost. Everybody's selling everything they have to give so nobody has a need. And along comes Ananias and Sapphira who say, oh, we got a plan. We're going to sell something. And we're going to tell them that this is all of the money, but it's not. In the promised land, Achan tries to do this, and God points him out. They go tribe by tribe. God points him out. Absolutely not Achan, and Achan's family is killed. Boom, just like that, done. At The start of the church, Ananias and Sapphira, they come and they do the same thing. And immediately, boom, they're out. God is the same. There's a picture happening. And if you want to understand who you are and where you fit in it, you have to know the whole story. Okay? So they begin to take city by city, and they recognize that sin in the camp affects the whole. And God says, no. We're not doing sin in the camp anymore. It's been paid for. (laughs) (laughs) There's no need for it anymore, right? So they take a city at a time. Well, guess what? They got every single one of the promises that God gave Abraham in their lifetime. In fact, it, uh, They say they surmise it only probably took about seven years for them to take the whole promised land. So I want you to look at that next page, so you can see that I'm not lying. I'm not making it up. I'm not trying to twist scripture to fit an idea that I have. This is something that God is like. Now look at, look at, look at, it, look at, it, look it. Take a look. It's there. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All had came to pass the next passage, for it is the Lord your God who has fought for you. That's Joshua speaking. Now, I think that's amazing because these men actually had to don, you know, warrior gear. They actually had to carry swords. They actually had to go out and fight. And yet their declaration was it was the Lord who fought for us. And that's why we won. In fact, a little bit later, he says, One man of you puts to flight a thousand, since it is the Lord your God who fights for you, just as he promised you. One of you puts to flight a thousand because it is the Lord. Now, in going into these, people will say, Why does it take so long? Or why is it so hard? Or how come this and that? And I'm like, Listen, you get to fight a battle in a comfy chair. Stop complaining. It is still a battle you are confronting things and one of you puts to flight a thousand because it is the lord who's already done it you stand in him and these things will flee but you still have to participate just like joshua did just like the israelites did they 100% gave their lives to this and said it was the lord who did it that's that's us. That's got to be our stance too. Uh, the, the under, we got to understand when the Israelites say that, that's what, that's what actually took place. They were 100% in and they saw the Lord move, so it was the Lord who fought for them. We can't be like, ah, I'm not in. God, why aren't you moving? You said you would. That's not how it works. You got to be 100% in, and the Lord will fight through you and the enemy will flee. That's how it works. Again, at the very bottom, uh, not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you. Not one of them has failed. That is incredibly good news for us because if it happened in the shadow, guess what that means for us in the fullness? It means that every promise in Jesus is a yes Right And the amen, that scripture says that amen is found in us through the spirit. It's agreement with him. But it means that every promise in Jesus is for now, for this time, not just for the restoration, for now, and you can get all of them, all of them, in fact, you should have all of them. The fullness of your salvation. You guys see it? I was like, ha ah! ha! This is amazing. Typing this out. Crazy God. So what are our promises now? You know how many times I references the promise I referenced the promises of God in my life and had no clue what they were. <laughs> all the promises are yes and amen. That's great. What are they? I don't. No, and I'm going to heaven, maybe? <laughs> Good question, right? What are the promises? Well, you should know the promises if you, if you want to have them, <laughs> right? So let's take a look at the promises now. The promises now, that bottom box, we have an inheritance. We are part of a family of faith. We are to have an abundance of fruit in our lives. An everlasting covenant with God and possessing the keys of the enemy's gates do these promises sound familiar Do they sound maybe like Abraham's promises that's not an accident guys it's not an accident now you see all those passages down there we don't I mean if you want to go do we want to read some of them or do you guys trust me you want to you want anybody want to read one out loud and, and see you guys all know we've been given an inheritance You've seen that in Scripture. You know I'm not making that up, right? And that inheritance is for now as well as for the restoration. Yes? You guys know that we've been engrafted into a family of faith? You know that? You've seen that in Scripture? Okay. That that it, the abundance of fruit, that, that God, it is God's will. It is his desire that we produce much fruit, John 15. It is his desire. I used to think or feel like, my desire for good fruit was bigger than God's desire to give it to me. And so I would go and I would pray for people, and I would be like, like, feeling like I had to convince God. Like God, would you, would you please, I'll do anything. <laughs> I'll tell everybody, God, this testimony would change the world. Like, I'm, like, convincing him. He says, no, it is his desire that we bear good fruit. Starts with him. But that's one of the promises is that we're supposed to. That we would have an everlasting covenant with God. Do you see that in scripture? That now we have an everlasting covenant and possessing the keys of the enemy's gates. Peter, on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I have given you the keys to the kingdom for loosing and binding. You guys see that? It's here. It's really in here. These are promises that we've been given, and they are the same promises that Abraham was given. That's awesome. I'm going to show you that in Scripture as well. This is Paul's letter to the Galatians. He had preached the good news to them. They had come into freedom. In fact, he said it was for freedom that Christ set you free. It was in this letter to the Galatians. Don't you know? Um, he had preached the good news to them. They had been set free, and then along came some uh, some pharisaical jews you know who wanted to undo the message of grace they believed in jesus but they believed that the law was what was what held people right the ten commandments and so they were trying to kind of twist and pervert what paul had just laid down and paul heard about it and he wrote a letter to them and i want you to see the correlation that he makes between us and abraham Okay, where we are now and where it was, because he's talking to Gentiles here, okay? O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish, having begun by the Spirit, are you now perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Preach the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse, for it's written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. through faith. Everything that was given to Abraham was to come to us. There was a shadow, a picture, and a fullness. To give a human example, brothers, even with a man-made covenant, no one annuls it or adds to it once it's been ratified. Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring it does not say into offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. Into your offspring, who is Christ. So you're saying the promises transferred to all of us through Christ. Same promises. I just never knew that. I thought that was it. I just never knew that, that it was the same promises. Um, Why then the law? Well, it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made. And it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary applies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. For if a law had been given that could give life, then righteousness would indeed be by the law. But the scriptures imprisoned everything under sin so that the promise by faith in Jesus might be given to those who For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Cool, right? We got some cool stuff going on here, right? So can we say the same as Joshua? Can we say that every promise has been fulfilled? I've definitely followed Jesus for more than seven years, and the promises were not fulfilled. (laughs) I don't know about you guys, but again, it wasn't for lack of desire. It wasn't for lack of love of God. It wasn't for lack of passion. It was for lack of knowledge. I didn't know what the promises were. (laughs) I didn't think deeply enough about it (laughs) to even get to it. I had an idea of what was supposed to come through knowing Christ, but I just didn't know what was really, really going on. Do you get it? You know what I'm saying? That's where I was at. So can we say the same as Joshua, that every promise has been fulfilled? Well, let's read 2 Peter 1, 3 to 4. May grace and peace be multiplied to you In the knowledge of God now that word there I I looked it up blue letters my favorite you know looked up knowledge guess what that word means it means precise and correct knowledge all right may this grace and peace be multiplied to you through your precise and correct knowledge of God we tend to put knowledge on the back burner compared to a whole bunch of other things. But knowledge is important, because if you believe that God is there um, waving his finger and ready to punish you for every, everything that you, you, know, you mess up on, then your interaction that you think that you're having with him you're going to miss out on his goodness. You're going you're to experience those, those, the liars and the thieves are going to propagate this stuff on you that's going to make you feel like crap because your knowledge is not correct. Even if you have a genuine love for God and desire to follow him, your knowledge of him is important. It has to be accurate. All right. May grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Now, all things, literally, I looked it up. It just means everything. Everything. Okay? His divine power has granted to us everything, all things, that pertain to life and godliness. Through what? (laughs) There it is again. Through the knowledge of Him, again, precise and correct knowledge, of Him who called us to His own glory and excellence, by which, talking about that knowledge, by which He has granted to us His precious and very great promises, so that through them, the promises, you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. This is really big information, guys. That our knowledge of him, our precise and correct knowledge of him is what gives us access to the reality of the promises, and those promises give us the access to participating in the divine nature. Now, I also looked up the word for partaker. Guess what that means? It means an equal sharer. Guys, you hear that? An equal sharer of the divine nature with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I thought that a participant in the divine nature meant that I got glimpses of it and maybe every once in a while experienced something awesome. He says, this is Peter. Peter says, you become an equal sharer in it, just like Jesus. Jesus. And Jesus himself is not ashamed to call you a co-heir. He's not ashamed to call you. In fact, he's the first of many, right? Do you know these scriptures? He's the first first of many what? Sharers in the nature of God. But it's, there's an order to it. You have to have correct knowledge. You have to know what the promises I- are and come into them. And then you begin to participate. So I always was like, yeah, we get to share in the divine nature. But I had no idea how to bridge that gap. <laughs> I wanted it. I just did not to get there. Even though it lays it out really clearly, it was like I had a framework on my eyes that I was reading through because I had been taught a whole bunch of stuff. God ripped that off. So we can become an equal sharer, but it's through the correct knowledge, the promises, and then this. So back to the timeline of humanity. What did Adam and Eve look like before sin? Right? Before they were slaves. There was no sin in them been redeemed. So now we're back. So we have like the timeline of human history, Adam to the restoration. And then we have the story in the shadow, right? So we see what happened in the shadow here. Now we're back to the timeline, the actual timeline of human history, and we go back to pre-slavery and and we want to take a look at um we want to take a look at what were the realities that Adam and Eve walked in. So the realities were that they were made in the image of God. They were the family of God. They were his offspring, scripture says. That they were made good. That they were made to be fruitful and multiply. Have an abundance of good fruit in their life. They were given the earth to fill and subdue as an inheritance to them. That's what they were given. They were given authority over the animals. They were to have an abundance of food and provision, that inheritance. And they were, ha- they were to have unbroken relationship with God. Do those, p- do those realities sound very similar to the promises we've been given? These promises didn't come out of nowhere. They came out of what God's original design and intent was. The promise is that you are redeemed and co- can go back to the reality of the garden pre-slavery. I was freaking out at this point. I had, that was like I had no idea that was coming. I literally had no idea that was coming. I was still blown away by the whole Abraham picture thing. But when he brought that out, I was like, well, your promises weren't just like, hey, I get some good ideas for for promises because you're my kids and I love you. Which is probably, I don't think I had any real deep thoughts about it, but I think that's probably what I kind of thought. No, they're based in something. They're based on something. They're based on the reality of how he created everything to be good. And he's redeemed us back to that. And he's going, every promise in Jesus is a yes. It's for you now. You're supposed to get these promises here. You are supposed to be in this world, but not of it. You are living in a different reality here. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creation. Who are the only new creations that we hear about in Scripture? Adam and Eve. Right? They're the only ones. So if he's telling us we're a new creation, who's the? Right here. New creation. The old is gone, and the new has come. You are not defined by your past, by any trauma, anything that's happened to you. All of those things literally die and lose their power on the cross. And you need to know that because the enemy will come and say, "Well, the reason you feel all this fear is because when you were seven and you were raped by that person, and da 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 da." That's a lie. That moment died on the cross. The reason I'm feeling this is because fear is here going, Bleh! That's why I'm feeling it. It has nothing to do with that moment. That moment's dead. You have to know this because otherwise you'll believe the lie and go, yeah, I just, I just have all this. I just have all this stuff. No. No, you don't. Something is lying to you. You are feeling it. It is flooding memories and thoughts and all that crap through your mind to get you to agree with it, to get you to believe as it exalts itself over the knowledge of God. Our agreement is powerful. And we will either agree with what Jesus says or we will agree with what the enemy says. And what I have found is that people who have dealt with trauma and PTSD and all of this stuff, abuse in their lifetime, and have gone to counseling, 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 and maybe getting some sort of measure of peace in it because God is good when they come into the knowledge of who he is and what actually happened and the fact is is that it's not actually them what's happening this fear isn't them this trauma isn't them this PTSD isn't them all of that actually died on the cross that this is here because something's lying and i've believed the stupid liar okay i'm done with you now And I've seen these things leave, never to return. Trauma, PTSD, fear, anxiety, depression. I've seen it leave and never come back. Because now you're defined by heaven. You have been redeemed, and you need to know that. Because as you embark in this journey of getting your promised land back from the things that took up residence while you were a slave, when you begin to embark on this, that you need to know who you are. Because that thing, those things will try to tell you a different narrative. And they're lying. They're lying to you. Their goal is to lie, to steal, to kill, to destroy. If it is not like God, it is not like you. Do you see it in the scripture? Do you see what God did? Does it make sense? It made so much sense to me. It made so much sense in my mind. I get it now. I get it now. I'm not grasping at some sort of invisible sort of like God trying trying to be good to me. I'm not grasping at something that this is concrete stuff. <laughs>